0: morning everyone. So when I was first ordained a deacon, you might not all know this, before a priest can be a priest, he first must be ordained a deacon. <coughs> and so my last year of seminary, seminary I was ordained a deacon. Uh, I still am one if you don't know that actually. But anyway, so I was ordained a deacon and I got assigned to a great assignment up in Boulder. And I was still in school but on the weekends, I would drive up to Boulder at uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. And I spent every weekend there for a year uh, when I was outside of the seminary. And my first day there, I'll never forget my first day on assignment in Boulder, uh, the pastor said to me, he said, okay, Brian, get in the car. I was like, what do we know? Just nervous what's going to come? Is this where, you know, you take me out and say they're not going to ordain you a priest? My friend Shannon always loved to mock me. She's like, they're not going to ordain you a priest. They're going to find something wrong. You'll be a perpetually celibate deacon. I was like, no. <laughs> but anyway, so the pastor took me, and it was a very, it was a, a wonderful experience. And it was a really hard first experience. The very first thing I ever did as a deacon was he took me to a house of a family. It was actually a deacon in the parish. And we went and sat with his family, and he was dying. And I sat in this man's living room, and awkwardly, very honestly, I didn't yet know how to be around people who were dying. Uh, And I didn't know the family. They knew the pastor well, and they loved him, and they very graciously invited me into their home. But the very first thing I ever did as a deacon was to sit in this man's living room and plan his funeral with him. overwhelming experience. And quite honestly, it was profoundly beautiful. He knew he was dying, but he had faith. Today our readings, brothers and sisters, today it's it's such, this is one of my favorite gospels. I know I say that every weekend, but I really mean it this time. This gospel is so powerful. And today what St. Mark and what the church want us to see is they want us to see that you and I are men and women who have passed from death to life. Not merely that that is something that would happen the day we physically die, but that when you and I encounter Jesus Christ, who is the author of life, that when we encounter him, our souls come alive the way that our bodies will someday after we die. So I have two friends uh, that I, I have more than two friends, kind of a big deal. Um, No, but two of my friends from college are in the medical field. uh, And they, one time we were talking about something similar to this, and they said, they said, Brian, you've got to read this book. So it took me a little while to get to it, but I did. Um, It's a book called Being Mortal by Atul Gawande, or Gawande, I don't know how you pronounce it, but he's kind of a big deal. He's a big, uh, he's one of the most famous doctors in the US. Uh, And it's really a profound book and it deals with this. And here's what he says at the beginning of his book. He says, when he was in medical school, At a certain point, they turn to the men and women who will be doctors, and they say, we want you to know more than just how to do things. We want you to be well-rounded human beings and know how to be around people who are going to die. So they made them read a a little novella. And many of you will have read it. It's, It's called The Death of Ivan Illich by Tolstoy. It's a very profound kind of short story. And so they read that. And so he quotes Tolstoy. Tolstoy says this. He says, what tormented Ivan Illich the most, and actually really quick context. Ivan Illich in the story, he falls off of a ladder and he has some pain. And he goes to get help from it. He goes to a doctor. But they don't seem to be able to cure it. He keeps getting worse and worse. So Tolstoy says, What tormented Ivan Illich the most was the deception, the lie which for some reason they all accepted, that he was not dying but was simply ill. And he only needed to keep quiet and undergo a treatment, and then something very good would result. The hardest thing for the character in Tolstoy's novella is that no one will be honest. And so he has to live the last days of his life in a lie that this will pass, that he'll regain his health. If you want to be a mature, not just Christian, especially Christian, but if you want to be just a mature human being, you must wrestle with your death you must most men and women never do until death comes knocking at their door this author of the the book on being mortal this book he goes on he says We students, we paid for our medical tuition to learn about the inner process of the body, the intricate mechanisms of its pathologies, and the vast trove of discoveries and technologies that have accumulated to stop them. We didn't imagine we needed to think about much else, right? They just wanted to think about medicine. So we put Ivan Illich out of our heads and moved on. The rest of this book, I do recommend this book. Not a Catholic, I don't know if he's a Christian or not. I doubt it, but I don't know that. But he spends the rest of the book really dealing with the fact that medicine cannot cure death. And we pretend in the modern world that it can. And people suffer greatly because they are unable to admit that they're going to die. Brothers and sisters, today what our readings are all about, and this is so profound, our first reading today is from the Book of Wisdom. And death is something that we just have to think about again and again and again if we're gonna live a good life. If you don't think about death, here's what happens. If you do not think about death, you will pretend you're God, you'll pretend you know everything, and you will not prepare for the day that you do die. Right? You'll live out that ancient saying that Dave Matthews revived, eat, drink, and be merry. That's what you'll do. The modern world, right, we don't we don't believe in eternal life. We're no longer Christians. And, and don't get me wrong, right, I am one of those guys who never goes to the doctor because... I don't have a wife and you can't make me. But but I am one of those guys who just doesn't go to the doctor, not because I don't believe in it, but just I'm stubborn. Medicine is good. It is a profoundly good thing. It's important. We need to take care of our bodies. But brothers and sisters, as Christians, we understand that we're going to die and that we have the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ. The modern world does not know that. And so what they do is they go crazy trying to extend days and weeks and hours. And they never face the fact that they're going to die. Hugely, hugely important. Our first reading today from the book of Wisdom. This is the very first line we heard from the readings today. Wisdom 1 13, God did not make death. Did you hear that? God did not make death. And he does not delight in the death of the living. Something that so many of us do when someone we love dies, and it's a natural thing. And I actually want to encourage you, God is your father, and he loves you infinitely. And if you're a daughter or a son, you can wrestle with your dad. You don't have to act like a slave that you can never be upset at dad because he might punish you and be this awful, deist God who just punishes people. God's your father. You can wrestle. You can say, God, I'm upset. My mother, my father, my grandmother passed away. And I'm mad at you. You can say that because he's your dad and he loves you. But don't ever kid yourself. God did not make death, and he does not delight in the destruction of the living. In 1 Corinthians 15, St. Paul says that death is the last enemy of God that will be destroyed. Death is not a part of God's plan. It is not a good thing. It is an evil. It is the greatest of all evils. And it is something that he will destroy forever, someday. Hugely important. But here's what our gospel wants us to see, brothers and sisters, today. Death is not just something that happens at the end of your life. If you think with a Christian mind, right, 1 Corinthians 2.16, remember that one? We have the mind of Christ. If you think the way Jesus thinks, if you see the world the way that God sees the world, if you've been formed by a Christian worldview, you know that essentially sin and death are the same thing. Sin and death are the same thing. when you and I live in sin, all right, uh, this is where the Greek's helpful, of course. Do you ever wonder if I'm making it up? (laughs) You know, the only, the only, the only thing, I'll give you some comfort in that issue. We have numerous people here who are, like, have doctorates and have studied much more than I have, and so, like, like, we have one guy, he was the last mass, he teaches Greek, and so I'm not making it up. Deal with it. Anyway, in the Greek, there's two words for life. There's more than that, actually. But, but two of them, one word is bios, where we get the word biology, which is biological life. It's our physical life. But another word in the New Testament that's used really interestingly at different points is the word zoe. If you ever meet a girl named Zoe, this is where she gets her name. Zoe in Greek is life, but it's not biological life. It's spiritual life, it's fullness of life. You know those days that you have where you just feel fully alive? You have joy and love and peace. You have purpose and meaning. That's Zoe. That's what Jesus wants to give you. If we are ensnared in sin, we might have bios, right? We might have biological life. But there's a death inside of us. And I know you felt it, because so have I. We've all experienced that. We've experienced those times where sin is ruling over us, where we don't love ourselves, we don't love God, we don't love other people. We don't believe that our life can be good. That is spiritual death, and it can happen very much while you are biologically alive. So what does Jesus want to teach us today? Right? Where is our heart supposed to go with this? You and I, St. Paul tells us that you and I, when when someone we love dies, St. Paul says, you and I do not grieve the way the pagans do. If you're a Christian, you look at death differently from other people. You and I do not so much fear death. We're always going to fear it some. We fear God. Because we have faith and we believe in eternal life. So, our gospel today, I just love this gospel. Mark, there's a really technical term for what Mark does today in, his, in the, today's gospel. Scholars call it a Markan sandwich. Don't know if you've ever heard that term. It's a sandwich. So here's how it goes. On one side, we began today, we had the story of the daughter of Jairus. And he Jairus comes to Jesus, he says, my daughter's sick, come lay your hands on her. And then he's walking, and in the middle of the story, the hemorrhaging woman comes. She's healed, and then we go back to the story of Jairus. And the reason Mark does that, he does that with a number of things. I could give you examples, but it'll go too long. Mark wants us to understand these two women, this woman and this girl, as the same type of interaction. He wants us to see them together. They shed light on each other. And both of them, here's the big thing I want you to see. Jairus' daughter is physically raised from death to life. The hemorrhaging woman is raised from death to life as well in a spiritual way. After her encounter with Christ today, she has a new life. She has purpose and meaning and joy. And that can happen to you when you encounter Jesus. A couple of things I just want to point out, and then well, let's just point these out. The woman, does anybody remember, how long has a woman been hemorrhaging? Twelve years. How old is the little girl? Twelve years old. Right? We're supposed to see those together. Jairus, when he comes to Jesus, he falls on his knees at the feet of Jesus. The hemorrhaging woman, when she is healed, comes and falls down on her knees at the feet of Jesus. And my favorite connection between the two, and this is one more Greek thing today, is that when Jairus says to Jesus, come heal my daughter, he doesn't use the normal word for daughter. He uses a a word in Greek, it's thugater, which is a hugely affectionate term. And can't you just picture that? You, you dads out there, you know this. Imagine your 12-year-old little girl is dying. This is a father's heart in this passage. And so that word, Thugater, is it's, this is my daughter, this is my everything, this is my little girl. That's what that word is. And I love this. That is the same word Jesus uses for the hemorrhaging woman. Same word. I love that, right? If you've suffered in your life, and of course you have, if you haven't, you're going to. And you wonder, does God care? Jesus looks at this woman, this grown adult woman, the way a father looks at his 12-year-old daughter is his heart of hearts. Love that. Here's where I want to leave you today. How do we apply this? What does this mean for me? Jesus, I know you love me. But Lord, how do I go from death to life? How do I find resurrection? In the story today, brothers and sisters, I love this. Jesus is passing through the crowd, and the, the hemorrhaging woman, it's so beautiful, crawling on her hands and her knees, reaches out and touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and she's healed, and I love Mark's humor, and it really is Jesus' humor. Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone forth from him, immediately turned in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? Right? Jesus is in a crowd, so he's like, who touched me? The apostles are like, everyone. There's 13 people touching you right now. Right? How can you say, who touched me? And here's the point. I want to apply this to the Eucharist. Today, when you come forward at communion to receive the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, it is always Jesus. And that day, in that crowd, hundreds of people touched Jesus Christ. Hundreds. And they really touched him. It was truly him. One of them was healed. Because she had faith. The Catholic Church teaches every time you receive the body of Christ, it's really him. If you don't believe it's him, it's still him. It truly is from this altar, the flesh of the Son of God. But if you don't have faith, if you didn't show up today with a heart that's actually open to him, if your life is given over to sin, if you're not actually willing to reach out and and bow yourself down before him, it will do you no good you'll be one in the crowd who touched him but was not changed. The day you do, the day that you repent of your sins, the day that you humble yourself and you give your heart away to Christ, that's the day that your life will be changed when you touch him in the Eucharist. And so Jesus today... Lord, I want to go from death to life. When I want that fullness of joy, I want to live in your love. I want to have the zeal of the apostles. I want to have the faith and the love of the hemorrhaging woman. Lord, grant me faith that today when I receive you, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Holy Eucharist. Jesus, when I receive you today, Lord, may you bring me from death to life.